Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we speak to the experts and break down the technology and the data that's allowing us to measure, optimize, and understand our health in ways that have never been possible before. This show is for the health hackers, the data nerds, the athletes, the execs, the high performers, and anyone looking to take their health and their game to the next level. Be sure to check out our website and our health analytics app at headsuphealth.com and feel free to shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com with any comments, questions, or feedback on this show or our app. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and let's get into our next episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I have Dave Rabin with me today from Apollo Neuro. And we're really excited to interview him and learn about his amazing technology. So, Dave, welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. I know that we have scheduled and rescheduled this podcast about 87,000 times (laughs) in the last four weeks or so, given our busy schedules. But we finally did it, and I'm a huge, huge fan. I'm really excited to educate our listeners on your company, your technology, and how this can help people. So thank you for being here today, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we'd love to learn about your background, Dave. You have a very interesting background, and that's kind of led you down this path of understanding the physiological patterns related to stress, different mental health disorders. And I've only got a small sampling of how your life and career experiences have led you up to creating your company. So why don't we start there just with a bit of a background on the work you've done leading up to the formation of the company. And then we love hearing the founder's story about decided to take the leap. And then we want to hear about the Apollo Neuro device and what it does and how it helps people. And I'll, interject at some point with my story about how I came across your technology as well because it's somewhat humorous and (laughs) I'll drop that in at the appropriate time but tell us about Dave. Thank you again for having me I really appreciate it and I really appreciate the work that you've been doing as well in the field of data-driven health and wearables I think it's really important work and I think a lot of people will benefit from it over time and being able to access summaries of data that are really valuable and meaningful in different ways. We're just at the beginning. Yep. So, you know, going back to my story, I'm a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist. I specialize my practice in disorders of chronic stress. So one thing that we've noticed, not just myself, but lots of people, uh, doctors and scientists and regular folks have noticed from observations in and outside of the clinic over the years is that stress makes a lot of medical conditions worse. And the symptoms of, of which get much worse over time with stress. And this is very common in disorders from diabetes to obesity, heart disease, respiratory conditions, inflammatory conditions, and mental illness. And I think mental illness is one of the categories that actually responds the most negatively to stress, particularly chronic stress, stress that happens one or multiple times a day, every day. Yep. And so... I work with actually a lot of regular folks too. I work with uh, founders and people who are doing really high level, very difficult work 
in their businesses and just looking for a boost or you know, a human performance enhancement lifestyle recommendations. And then I also work with people who have severe treatment-resistant PTSD, depression, anxiety, and uh, substance use disorders. And so what was, I think, most interesting for me was seeing the commonality between all these different groups. We don't often think that when we are extreme performers that we have that much in common with somebody who has PTSD. But it turns out that we actually have quite a bit in common because before you label our, we label ourselves as a elite athlete or elite performer or as somebody who has a mental illness or an illness at all, we're all human first. And ultimately, that means that we have a whole lot more in common from the get-go than we do different. And so through my practice, I started to recognize these commonalities, some of which led me to studying lots of different techniques to induce balance in the nervous system, helping people achieve higher levels of resilience, what people call flow states or peak performance states, states of improved, maximized recovery. And it turns out, it's just applicable in people who are elite athletes or elite business or brain performers, cognitive performers, as it does people who are mentally ill or physically ill. And the more that we focus on enhancing our recovery, the closer that we get to our fullest human potential, whatever that may be. And so that has become a huge focus of my practice over the years, which is really just helping empower people to achieve, understand and achieve their full potential with different technologies and different treatment alternatives that don't necessarily require or don't necessarily have side effects, right? If we can get away from things that have side effects for treatment and help people to figure out how to treat themselves more effectively, then it empowers people to get better over time. And we see these dramatic impacts in recovery and people actually do get better from disorders that they've been told are never going to get better. And, and that, you know, what could be more gratifying than that? So Apollo basically came out of my work at the University of Pittsburgh, where we were trying to develop new techniques and strategies to help improve recovery and balance in the nervous system. So you have a perspective then from that of a psychiatrist, which would be using potentially pharmaceutical modalities and also cognitive behavioral modality. And then you right. also have the perspective of a neuroscientist who is going to be able to look at it from the point of view of perhaps how the brain is functioning right. and also coming at it from the angle of non-pharmaceutical interventions in terms of heart rate variability and other types of modalities. So you're really able to, to look at this problem holistically from a lot of different views with a background in, in clinical psychiatry, presumably, and then mm. also obviously learning how one can use other techniques to modulate the central nervous system from high-performance athletes to people with mental health disorders. So it's a really interesting way to come at eventually creating a piece of hardware. I know when I spoke to you on the phone several months ago, one of the things that stuck with me was you mentioned that you had spent a considerable amount of time actually studying the physiological states of different mental health disorders and starting to look at lots of different parameters, heart rate, blood pressure, heart rate variability, different types of EEG signals potentially. So can you tell us a little bit about how you started to like quantify mental states, if I'm even saying that right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think taking a step back to that, one of the other perspectives that I have that I think is a little is a bit unique for someone with my training is that I'm also 
I am a psychotherapy-focused psychiatrist. So most people, when they think of psychiatrists, they think of people who just prescribe medicine. But most of my practice is actually psychotherapy. And I'm trained in psychedelic psychotherapy using, or psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy using MDMA for PTSD, which is currently in phase three trials with the FDA, and also ketamine for treatment-resistant depression, which are particularly interesting medicines because they induce dramatic radical change within a single session that is likely to be measurable with things like HRV. Have you done that? Have you actually quantified some of those? No, but we're starting. We're starting. And so going back, we're going back to what I, you were mentioning earlier, is that when we look at these commonalities between people, what's really fascinating is, and I, I don't take credit for all of this work, there were many, many, many scientists and, and doctors and researchers over the last 50 years who have looked at people with depression, PTSD, autism, anxiety disorders, poor sleep, chronic pain. And they've looked at these people, over cardiovascular disease, over the years. And they've seen that these people, what's really interesting is that they very, very commonly have low heart rate variability. And there are lots of other biometrics that are correlative, but heart rate variability has stood out as the most important and the most reliable predictor of whether somebody's going to get sick or recover. And that, I think, is really fascinating because heart rate variability, when you break down what that actually is in terms of what we're talking about, what we're talking about is, yes, the rate of change of the heartbeat over time, but what we're also talking about is the balance between our sympathetic fight-or-flight, our freeze response system, and our parasympathetic rest and digest and recovery response system. And so going back to where the psychotherapy component comes in, where things like psilocybin, MDMA, and ketamine come in, it's really interesting. All these treatments were originally developed for PTSD for the most part. And people with PTSD are particularly interesting because they have some of the lowest HRV of all. And they are also always afraid. Their chief symptom that they present with to the clinic or in their day-to-day lives that causes them suffering is called hypervigilance. They never feel safe. And they're always looking around for a threat. Mm -hmm. And so that seems to be reflected as high fight-or-flight nervous system activity, low recovery nervous system activity. However, when those people do deep breathing, they have soothing touch like a massage or soothing touch from a loved one holding their hand or giving them a hug, or they meditate or they do yoga or biofeedback, their heart rate variability starts to go up. And when their heart rate variability starts to go up, they say, I feel better. And this has been shown across a a very decent number of patients in lots of different groups. And we're starting to see that as more studies are done, lots of different disorders seem to fall into this category where they respond to techniques that reduce symptoms and increase HRV. And I think what we're starting to see is that the more we train to increase our HRV, the better we we optimize our chances of recovering from these conditions, but also the better we optimize our chances of accessing our fullest potential of ourselves. And so when we started to see these commonalities, we said, okay, psychotherapy is great, and human touch is great, and psychedelic medicine is great, and they all work to likely balancing the nervous system, boosting HRV. We don't know that for all of them, but we know that for touch, we know that for biofeedback, we know that for breath work. What happens if we give somebody something that gives them the same effect, for example, through the touch system, and then send them home with it. 
so that they can take it out of the office. And I that see. eventually is what okay. became Apollo. Yeah. To give people something accessible that they could leave with that gives them that same parasympathetically, sympathetically balancing experience, bringing them back to homeostasis, quickly sinking them back into the body, just like taking a deep breath or getting a hug or experiencing a meditative moment, but without you really having to do much or anything. Well, it's absolutely brilliant because it's just like you have this device on your wrist all the time that is giving your nervous system these soothing sensations. So it's on the go. It's right. not practical to be getting a uh, relaxing massage 24-7 or being <laughs> right. able to have soothing touch or being able to have MDMA sitting beside you at work, although that might sound pretty good to many. So like <laughs> if you had a, a device, and I know the Apollo can go on the ankle or on the wrist, mm-hmm. and it provides these soothing frequencies and sensations, and I, I, can, I now see the path of how this whole thing developed based on your work. Yeah, and I think the main thing for us is, you know, I work with a lot of people who can't afford some of these more advanced treatments or with respect to specifically my patients, people who are already, who have never trained to deep breathe or never trained to meditate and they're already stressed out have a really, really, really hard time learning to meditate in that moment. And that's no... You don't know if you're doing it right. You're like, eh, this sucks. My brain's all over the place. I can't meditate. You know, everybody's... right. And the great irony of it is that when you start to have those thoughts, you are doing it right because yeah. those thoughts are surfacing yeah, and that's exactly. good. But, yeah. the, but the idea is that we need to also at the same time learn to detach ourselves from those thoughts and allow them to just kind of move along without spending too much time focusing on and attaching meaning to them. Just kind of let them go, which is the part that's really, really hard to yeah, practice when you have never experienced it before. It takes everyone a long time. It took yeah. me a long time too. And so you get the joke and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to just see these thoughts and then just like let them pass away. Then meditation finally takes on a whole another dimension. Exactly. And that I think is what we're really aiming for is that Apollo is not a substitute for meditation Mm -hmm. and you also don't need it all the time. I think a lot of people who, who are really feeling uncomfortable a lot of the time will wear it all the time to start. But eventually what we see is that people start to use it more intentionally people use it instead of substances. Like normally, what's our pattern, right? We wake up in the morning, we have a cup of coffee or tea. Or That's how I was using sort. it. I'd right. wake up in the morning, I'd set like a high functioning frequency and I'd go pound work for a couple hours and then I'd right. do something a little more relaxing to chill for a bit and then I'd be going to the gym. So I'd dial it up in the car on the way to the gym. So that's how I was starting to use the technology personally myself. Right. And that's the idea is to kind of give people a goal-based experience that helps guide them through. And whenever you need a boost, instead of turning to something that you put in your body that's from the outside, you can turn to yourself and say, what can I do right now? And then press those buttons on your arm or your leg or wherever. And then that gives you the boost you need to help you remind you that you can do this on your own. And then over time, what we see from over 2,000 case studies in the wild in our clinical trials is that people seem to be training to it. So the more that you use it, the less you need it, which is great. With some of the other research I've come across as well, which is it starts to become intuitive as your body learns these things. Right. I want to back up because that was a huge load of information we just threw at people. And a lot of our listeners are pretty, pretty knowledgeable when it comes to quantified self. And a lot of them are tracking heart rate variability. But there's a lot of people who don't even know what the heck that means. So Right. 
we should probably just start with a little bit of a definition there for, for people who are listening and don't know what the difference is. between Everybody knows heart rate, but heart rate variability pertaining to stress. And then we should also just clarify what your product is in terms yes. of a risk-worn device. So could you just clear up those two little details and then we'll, we'll keep going? Absolutely. And thank you for, I appreciate you taking that step back. So heart rate, which is what we know and talk about most commonly, is an important measure of how many beats per minute our heart is pumping, right? So typically what we think of, we measure heart rate as 60 beats per minute, just as an example. And what we typically think of when we think of 60 beats per minute is we think of one beat every second. So beat, 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 beat every second. But that's not actually the way our heart is beating. In actuality, when our heart is beating, it's changing as we breathe. Because when we breathe, it changes the pressure in our lungs that the heart has to pump against. And so every breath that comes in expands the lungs and changes the pressure and how hard the heart has to pump to get blood going through. And so what that does is it changes the time between each beat. So sometimes the beats might be half a second. It might be beat, 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 beat. And so it changes over time. And ultimately, the more time changes between the beats, which is heart rate variability is a measure of the rate of change of the time between each heartbeat, then the more adaptable and recovered we are. And because this, this number, heart rate variability, is a measure of how quickly our bodies adapt to stress or adapt to any change in our environment, stress or not stress. So the best way to think about it is low heart rate, resting, when you're resting and you're generally relaxed, like first thing waking up in the morning, we should have a pretty low heart rate. So low resting heart rate is good. But low heart rate variability means that there's very little change between the beats of your heart, which means that our heart and our body, our vascular system, is not that adaptable. So if a lion shows up and we need to immediately get out of a stressful situation and we have low heart rate variability, then we're going to take longer to increase our heart rate to get out of that situation, longer to increase our blood pressure and our breathing rate, and longer to get blood to where it needs to go to get out of that situation quickly so we can get to safety. If we have high heart rate variability, that means we're going to be the quickest to adapt and we're going to be the quickest to get out, first to get out, first to get to safety. And then when the threat is eliminated and we have established we're in a safe environment, our bodies will be very quick to calm down. People yeah. with low heart rate variability take a very, very long time to calm down after a threat presents itself. And so that's really the threat, difference. Environmental threat, social threat, any kind of threat. So Any that, kind of threat, financial, legal. about you and it's like lingering for days. Right. And cool. so, what, so what Apollo does is Apollo is a wearable, it's about the size of an Apple Watch, and it taps into the autonomic nervous system through the sense of touch. So when somebody you like holds your hand when you're having a bad day, or you're really overwhelmed and stressed out, that sends a signal instantly to our brains that says, I am safe enough right now to pay attention to the feeling of this person touching me. And it's the same thing when we take a deep breath. When we take a deep breath in a situation when we're stressed out, that's instantly sending a signal to our brain. This is, I am safe enough to take the time to pay attention to the feeling of this breath right now. 
If we were running from a lion or a bear in the jungle or there was an actual survival threat, we would not have the time to do that. And so that is the built-in neurobiological response that we've evolved over millions and millions of years that is an instant trigger from the moment you start taking that deep breath, from the moment somebody starts, a loved one or a friend touches your hand or gives you a hug, that instantly sends these safety signals to the brain that instantly calms the body down. In the university research that I did at the University of Pittsburgh, we figured out this pathway is similar for sound and for touch and for other pathway, other systems as well. And then when you send safety signals to the body, it triggers the recovery response in the body and you can measure that with as increased HRV. And so we developed Apollo based on this technology or this understanding. And when we tested in the lab in a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled clinical trial at the University of Pittsburgh, we found without a doubt that Apollo was reliably improving HRV within three minutes under stress. And this was a very exciting finding because that showed that Apollo is actually the very first technology that has ever been discovered that can rapidly improve HRV under stress without you having to do anything. And we see that the more your HRV goes up, the more your performance improves in those situations, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. And just to share some of my own anecdotes there. So when I had one of your prototype devices and I would wear it on the wrist, for those, just to clarify, it's, it's a wrist-worn or ankle-worn device, and it connects to a mobile app, which has the Apollo Neuro app on there. And I'd noticed that when I'd set it for one of the programs that was meant for like high focus, for example, the physical sensation of touch was kind of like these, these fast waves. And I'd feel these, it's almost like these micro-touches on your skin, mm-hmm. something like a vibrational touch on the skin. And then when I'd set it to a relaxation frequency, I'd feel these long, slow, soothing waves of the programs. It's almost like uh, the uh, frequency of the wave was changing based on what I was trying to accomplish. And the relaxation ones were very long and soothing uh, pulses. And then the high frequency ones were like little shock waves. (laughs) And... It was awesome. I was using it all the time to basically just calibrate throughout my day. The only problem was I lost the ankle strap, so I had to wear it on the wrist, and it was fighting for real estate on the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> so now I, so I'm like, man, I can't find that that ankle strap. So uh, I'd have to take my Apple Watch off and put this on. And we'll get you a new one. I got it now, and then I, <laughs> I one on each wrist, and it was just bumping up against the laptop. But anyhow. Anecdotally speaking, I, I discovered your device at Health Optimization Summit, which was in London, I don't know, September of last year. Yeah. And we had a booth at the conference. It was just a super fun event. But I couldn't sleep for the life of me over there in London. I was like staring at the ceiling till four in the morning in the hotel room. And then I would just, you know, from jet lag, I would just give up and go downstairs and start working. But then I'd had to be at the booth standing on my feet talking to people for 12 hours and uh, then, of course, on Saturday night, we all went out way too late and drank way too much. So Sunday was pretty rough, especially on yeah. sleep and hungover. And Yeah, those conferences are really exhausting anyway. Yeah, but Dasha came by the booth and she's like, here, this is for you. She could see how much I was suffering and she put the Apollo on, opened up her phone and set the frequency for me. And then she just walked away. I didn't see her for hours. And I had this thing just pulsing on my wrist. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I swear to God, within 12 minutes, 
every feeling of discomfort had faded away. <laughs> and I was almost in like this quasi euphoric state. And I'm like, man, that was pretty incredible. So that was the first exposure to it. And then I got in touch with you after that. You sent me the, the prototype. Now I have the brand new one. I just got it. So how did you decide to basically take the plunge and start a company? That's a great question. And I will say, you gave a really great description of what it feels like. For people who haven't felt Apollo, it is very different than any other vibration you've ever felt. It's not like a cell phone. And it's, it doesn't feel like electricity. It feels like a gentle, soothing ocean wave kind yeah. of washing over your body at different speeds. Yep. Fast ocean waves for more intense energy and slower ocean waves, as you said, for more calm, soothing, relaxation, sleep. The main reason why we developed Apollo, which was a huge leap, because it's not only a hardware, it's a hardware and a software product. Hardware, yeah. software, firmware, mobile app, um, millions right. of dollars, R&D. Uh, I mean, it's, man. it's an incredible undertaking. And I have to say, I, I couldn't do it without my wife and, and business partner, Catherine, who's the CEO of Apollo. And she is just absolutely force of nature to get this, this stuff done. But one of the big reasons was that, you know, when you develop any technology at a university, as a doctor, as a scientist, you know, there's lots of different ways that technology could move forward. And I think that for a long time, the only ways that were common for discoveries at universities to move forward was twofold. One of which was that the, the scientist or doctor discovered it, gives everything to the university, the university finds somebody, a big company or someone to turn it into something, and then licenses the IP to that group. And then Apple or some other big company turns it into something, you know, or Medtronic or something like that. The other way that it happens is the person who discovers it themselves ends up starting a team, partners with business people, and then leaves the academic institution or does so in collaboration with the academic institution. It turns out that when you actually look at the way these things go, unfortunately, typically in academia, the time from discovery of a new technology, even a medicine, to implementation in the community on average is over 17 years. So when we're talking about better ways to manage stress, better ways to manage things like PTSD that don't require medicine, uh, better ways to manage symptoms of ADHD, traumatic experiences in children, all of which Apollo has been incredibly helpful for, or managing things like the opioid crisis on another level, we have seen incredible results with this technology. There was in the prototype phase and in our studies, it just seems silly to not take our chances and take it through the process of getting it out to the world to see how they would respond. Yep. Um, and I think overwhelmingly and overall, people are responding really well. You know, we've had like thousands of users now in the wild who are using it who are having great experiences and they're telling us about them all the time. And and you know, we're a young startup and we're just getting our first shipments out to the world. And I think overall, everything being said, especially given the current crisis today, we're doing pretty well. And it's very exciting to be able to see people using it and having you know, equivalent results to what we're seeing in our lab studies and in our pre-release analyses and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's a big leap to make this kind of stuff. It was really just our passion and our drive to do good in the world that we said, why not try it and see what happens? Yeah, well, I wish you the best of success. I know that my own personal experience with the device has been fantastic. If people are listening to the show and you identify with anything we've talked about so far, 
related to chronic stress, related to ADHD, related to anything where you're looking for a really, really groundbreaking solution to try in terms of really finding a natural and easy and constant way to increase your parasympathetic nervous system activity, which is rest and relaxation. I think this is a a promising technology that I've had wonderful experience with and I use every single day. I try a lot of stuff and it's not often that something makes it into my daily routine right out of the get-go. So I wish you the best of success, Dave. Thank you for coming on the show to tell us about the technology. If people want to get their hands on a device, I'm assuming you can give us some places to go where people can learn more and check it out. It's got my endorsement. So where would people go if, if they want to give it a run? I really appreciate that, David. Thank you. And I really appreciate and I'm glad to hear that you're having great experience with it, particularly as somebody who's such a knowledgeable biometric tracker and biohacker. You know, you really put a lot of effort into optimizing yourself. So I really appreciate you giving us your time and support for this. Yeah, and, no worries, man. It's just something I've used really, really good. It, it took me a while just to figure out how to work it into my daily routine. It's like anything. There's some trial right. and error involved, but right. once you figure out how to use the patterns and, and work it into your life, I mean, it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear how your experience changes with the new one as you get more used to that as well. If anybody is interested in reaching out and, and purchasing Apollo, you can go to apolloneuro.com. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com or apolloneuroscience.com also works. I will say that I think very relevant to what we've been talking about today, I just published a blog post on our blog on the Apollo Neuro website talking about tips for managing immunity and inflammation that include Apollo and also include just general sleep tips that a lot of people talk about, but we have a lot more, I think, that people don't always consider from a mental health perspective because I deal with this a lot in my populations. And then also breathwork techniques. So we talk a lot about basically how to build resilience and maximize resilience as much as possible. And you can find that on our Apollo Neuro blog, which I think is particularly critically important in this time. And uh, you can reach me at Dave Rabin on Twitter or at Dr. David Rabin on Instagram. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. I'm really interested to read your sleep tips because there's a bunch of them out there, but to get some of the recommendations from you based on your academic background and all the research you've done with Apollo, I'm sure there's a few good nuggets out there that I can use to potentially increase my own rest and recovery. So that sounds like a really interesting post. Thank you for the great work you do, sir. Thanks for making time out of your day to come share with us on the show. You too. I really appreciate having me. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 